otherwise on SAFM. Happy Tuesday, Mzansi. My name is Shadow Twala, and you're listening to Otherwise Talking Women on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My producer is Hazel Makuzeni, and Lance Andrews is our technical producer for today. Our contact details are 0892-102010, email otherwise at safm.co.za, tweets at otherwise safm or at Shadow Twala. Last Tuesday, we started a conversation on Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, also known as ADHD. And we were talking with Helena Bester, who's the author of New Hope for ADHD in Children and Adults, a Practical Guide. We've invited her back, judging at the response we got last week. We thought we'd go deeper into this discussion and hopefully also invite you to talk uh, uh, to Helen directly because the book is there. You should get it, I think, as a as a first step. But I think while she's with us, you may also ask questions on on the condition. And we looked, we started looking at various treatments that were available. And of course, uh, one of the treatments is neurotherapy, which I'd like us to talk more about today. So we do invite your calls on 0892102010 if you've seen some of the symptoms as we described last week uh, from a loved one, a child. A parent, uh, it is the time to call. But for our lunch bite, before I talk to Helen, I found a few quotes from people living with ADHD. Um, someone said, We think more things before breakfast than most people think all day. And I thought it would make it more interesting to find found pop, uh, celebrities as well who have HD and what they've said. And Frank Zappa, who's a musician, said, Without deviation from the norm, progress is not possible uh thomas edison said to invent you need a good imagination and a pile of junk because apparently mess is what goes with this condition um jim morrison said i see myself as an intelligent sensitive human with a soul of a clown which forces me to blow it at the most important moments I know some of them sound funny, but it's not actually a funny condition. Woody Allen says, I had a terrible education. I attended a school for emotionally disturbed teachers, he calls them. So, you know, we, we, there's quite a lot of them, but I'll, I'll give them to you as we go along. But first, I'm going to be talking to Helen after this. Helena. SAFM Current Affairs continue to look at the issues. We look at developing stories and stories not in the mainstream. By giving you an evening update on Weekend PM Live, Saturday and Sunday from 8 to 9 p.m. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Otherwise, on SAFM. Helena, thank you for your time once more. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Good afternoon, Shadow. Afternoon to you. Pleasure. Did you did you get a response from our program yes, uh, last week? Yes, we we got lots lots of response. Thank you. I know because everywhere I've gone this past week, people asking me, "Are you sure you're going to get it back? Uh, you know, are you going to talk talk more about this? They didn't know this. They didn't know that. So it seems like you've woken us up to understanding what ADHD is. And I want us to just recap on on what we spoke about last week before we get into neurotherapy and other alternative alternative medicines that or treatments that are available can we just recap on what it is we're talking about yes. and and the symptoms gladly um, in essence it is a neurochemical imbalance and it involves 
mainly three neurotransmitters, dopamine, serotonin, and noradrenaline. Dopamine um, is the, the, the transmitter. Is, it affects motivation and alertness. The serotonin, basically, that's the feel-good neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. And then the, the noradrenaline affects, uh, is in, um, affects concentration and memory. Now, it presents, now obviously one is not going to be able to see those imbalances, and we don't have any clinical tests, blood tests, or brain scans that, um, according to which we do the diagnosis. So we, it presents as 18 symptoms, and that's how we do the diagnosis. And there are mainly two groups of symptoms, the, the symptoms associated with inattentiveness. So one of the subgroups of ADHD then is the inattentive type. And those people present with, I'm just going to recap very briefly, they fail to pay attention to detail, they have difficulty with sustaining attention, often it seems like they're not hearing when someone speaks to them, they find it difficult to follow through on tasks, they have great difficulty in, in organizing tasks, they're often reluctant to engage in tasks that require sustained mental effort, they often lose important things they mm-hmm. expect spectacles and cell phones and so on they get easily distracted and they're very forgetful and then we have the hyperactive group those are the ones that we normally don't miss where everybody knows mm. few of them in their circle of friends they are fidgety they find it difficult to sit still for long periods of time they often run around the children and when it, in adults we find that they they talk without stopping often um, they find it difficult to play on their own and to engage in activities, leisure activities quietly. It seems almost as if they're driven by a motor. They talk excessively. They find it difficult to wait their turn and they often interrupt others. So one will have, um, must have at least six symptoms if you are younger than 17 of one of those groups in two situations for a diagnosis and the most common group is then the combined type mm. and those who have some of the inattentive symptoms and some of the hyperactive symptoms as well and what's also very important I think that we often miss the inattentive group especially the girls um, because they often appear to be ideal students but uh, they really have quite a severe degree of inattentiveness because they don't bother anybody often we um, miss them in diagnosis mm-hmm. Helena you know I had a discussion with, with a, a, a young lady who 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 has a child in the family not her child but a family other a family member child and when she listened to the show um, the the child is, is, who's presenting with all these symptoms that you talk about but has been labeled disrespectful, has been labeled obstinate, and, and, and has been beaten up severely to try and, and, and get them to respond in, in a good way at school, to, to, you know, to tidy up their room and all of that. What, how dangerous is that? How, you know, this child is being pushed now to, to rebel. He wakes up in the middle of the night and, and just kind of leaves the house, you know. How can we bring this child back and and let the parents understand what they're dealing with? Yeah, it's it's so important, Shadow, that we often find that by the time they are teenagers, they are so um, 
damaged, hurt by all of the constant negative feedback that they often become um, oppositional, rebellious mm. and so on. So it is so important that the teachers, but fortunately quite a lot has been doing as, as uh, is being done in that regard um, lately with the in-service training and so on. So an improved awareness is so very crucially important because the improved awareness of ADHD necessarily leads to better research, it leads to more solutions, it leads to less judgment, to less labeling. And the labeling is always a major issue. But in the case of that child, I so wish that, you know, that the child will be taken to a professional soon for a proper diagnosis so that appropriate intervention can be decided on. And over and above that, it's so important that we will realize that a holistic approach is much more successful. We can't just take the ADHD child prescribe stimulant medication and the problem is solved. We have to go and analyze the system, look at the environment where this child is a part of, look at the brain profile of the child, look at the primary strengths, look at the assistance that the family needs to, to manage that condition and also communicate with the school because they also need to assist and make certain adaptations in the, in the teaching and also in the, in the evaluation of these children. Now, what's the, take us through step one, two, three, and four uh, uh, of, of you've, you've seen these symptoms, you suspect something is there. Um, where's your first port of call? I would suggest, well, knowledge is power. So um, empower yourself through knowledge. So get a comprehensive book on ADHD and read it from cover to cover because so much is being said and we all of these fleeting ideas and convictions and suggestions. But better that you come to grasp with the condition because if one understands something, it's so much easier to then approach rather than hear somebody says, do this, don't do that, do that, and you don't know why. But if you understand the condition, it's as if it gives one a handle on it and you automatically deal with it more wisely. So step number one, I would definitely say, is to empower yourself through knowledge. And then you If you can read, that is. Read, if read. you can read, Helena, because some some of us don't have the luxury of being able to read. Um, and I, I, I wonder then how a parent who is not able to read and identify the, the, the child's condition. Because it's not an elite, because somebody the other day said to me, it's an elite kind of condition. I said, that's yeah. utter rubbish. It's not an elite condition. It could happen to any child because of course, of the, the, the stresses of pregnancy of, of, and all the other things you mentioned last week. But uh, what does one do when you cannot read and get the, the knowledge? If you suspect something is wrong and you're not quite certain and don't, don't exactly know what it is, I would suggest to go to the school and ask the teacher because the teacher should at least have some knowledge available mm. and so that the teacher can assist. And there are very many ADHD support groups. But the teacher then can also, because we have these support teams that are um, that are functioning at schools, 
where when a learner has been identified as one that has a certain barrier to learning, which could just simply be ADHD, that learner then has to be um, referred to this task team. They do a basic assessment analysis and they discuss an individualized learning plan Mm -hmm. where they make certain adaptations and they will have the knowledge to assist the parents also to empower them to manage the situation um, uh, at home. Now, it's a very big problem and I am very concerned about that. that, um, You know, it being that people are saying that it it is an elite condition Mm. um, because that just goes to show that so many people um, are in basically in a survival mode that there is no attention being paid and no resources available even to make the proper diagnosis now Mm -hmm. adhd um, does not discriminate between um, socioeconomic groups or diet or anything that would be different in in a more sophisticated society or in a more elitist group so the incidence, as it is specified in, in all the, the research that, that is available, will be exactly the same. And I have done a lot of personal research in that regard. Very interesting thing that, that is so is that in the, in, in the East, the incidence is lower. And I asked myself that question often, why, what is the essential difference? But There are no differences in South Africa amongst different religious, social, racial groups. Mm -hmm. It is as real a problem in the the less elite, the the least elitist school than the most sophisticated school Mm -hmm. that that we have. Helena, please stay on the line. We're taking a little break and we're inviting callers to, to talk about the kind of medication, especially we heard a lot about Retlin and the different types of other medication. But also I want you to just expand on, on neurotherapy when we come back. Otherwise, on SAFM. Helena Bester is my guest and we're taking your calls on 0892-102010 if you want to know more about ADHD or the medication. Um, but you were still at number one, empower yourself with knowledge, Helena. Uh, what What's the second point to do? Second point, and I was thinking now the, the problem that the people have, they don't have the resources and they, they can't empower themselves with knowledge. The school then, once a child is identified, can refer the child for an assessment to the school clinic that can be done totally free of charge mm-hmm. and there's also a support team that can assist and involve the parents fantastic mm-hmm. so once you have if if it is possible to empower self, your self-knowledge obviously is very uh, the most important uh, foundation mm-hmm. managing the, the condition and point two would then be to find a therapist uh, experienced person that you know has a lot of experience in ADHD and have a complete evaluation done and from there on um, certain recommendations of treatments will be made and uh, it's not necessarily the Ritalin route that you have to take. Fortunately, we are in a position that we uh, have alternatives available, alternative treatment once you have decided on which external intervention you want to follow, 
then uh, it's important that you will also receive counseling and guidance in managing the condition at home and the initial reading would have assisted you with that. When you say find a therapist, can can your normal just GP uh, be able to um, uh, diagnose uh, ADHD? They, they can diagnose ADHD and they often prescribe medication, but important to remember that that is not the, they, they don't specialize in that. And often they rely mainly on what the mother is saying and feedback, and the mother relies on the feedback that she got from the school. So a more responsible route would be to have the child assessed by a psychologist, psycho- psychometrist, or by a pediatrician. Now, the pediatricians don't do a complete evaluation. They will just screen for ADHD based on the symptoms that we've mentioned initially. Mm -hmm. So the school completes a checklist and so does the parent. And the pediatrician, they normally prescribes medication. If, however, a complete assessment is done, it's important then that the consideration will be given to are there any other problems that are causing the discomfort? So sometimes we find a learning problem that is comorbid to the ADHD. We find emotional stuff like oppositional defined disorder or whatever that are comorbid. And sometimes even when there's a serious learning problem, that may lead to some of these symptoms that that we have mentioned that the primary issue would not be the concentration issue but maybe the learning problem so a complete evaluation if that is possible although normally it's quite a costly evaluation but that would be the the ideal so that one can determine how much of it is concentration and how much of it is anything else that also needs to be addressed how much can diet play in uh, uh in exacerbating the the condition or even lessening it? Thank you for that question. And I, um, it is so that it can either um, amplify certain symptoms or it can make the symptoms less prominent. But yes, it cannot cause the condition. Mm. And But we will normally see that with a hyperactive group, especially in parents normally know that right from the beginning, that when the child has a lot of sugar, a lot of colorants, then we find that he's much more hyperactive and uh, more more distracted. Now, one cannot, although diet definitely is something that ought to always be discussed in, in the treatment plan, it's not some, It's not the only thing that has to change. It's not going to make the condition go away. But the main things that we're looking at, if we're looking at uh, at diet, is um, the importance of a supplement of the um, uh, essential fatty acids, omega three and six, mm. and additional calcium and uh, B six to help with uh, to absorb the uh, essential fat, fatty acids. And then also to try and stay away from um, the fast foods and too much sugar and colorants. Children uh, respond different, differently to sugar and colorants, but some of them have an intense reaction to certain colorants, more so to sugar. 
Um, but they, I suggest in the book also a way in which one can go about um, finding out which are the, the main important issues in the particular child's diet and how the things are affecting the child and how to just kind of phase them out and phase in more healthy eating habits. And Helena, this is what we should be doing anyway, is it not? Eating properly, um, uh, getting enough exercise, which uh, a lot of us are not getting, and our children even worse, not getting, uh, because if they don't play sports at school, then you know at home they don't do that. So our diet and exercise is becoming more and more uh, important as a barrier to, to most conditions, is it not? Yes, and it's really important that often... The moment the parent takes that control and he engages with this reality and he takes the responsibility and he starts doing the responsible planning of diet, etc., already there's a lot of positive energy that comes from that and has a positive influence because now there's more focus on the child, there's more time that they share and just that taking control already contains the condition to a certain extent mm. so it, it is it's an, and always of course um, it is so important to all of us to, to get the balance right otherwise on SAFM talking ADHD with Helena Bester and we're talking at uh uh, new treatment methods and I, I think neurotherapy is, is one of them how does it work uh, Helena a conditioning process it's non-invasive we basically place sensors on the scalp and we take a reading of brainwave activity and we set the boundaries of the different frequencies at different amplitudes so we know we work with big databases of, of brain functioning mm -hmm. and we know what the ideal Amplitude for each frequency has to be for different states of consciousness. I don't want to get too, too technical, technical, yes. I just realized that perhaps I am. Um, so we teach the brain what is the ideal functioning to, um, in terms of concentration. So typically we will find a, a big group of the ADHD sufferers, or 47% of them to be exact. They have excessive theta in the brain. That is too much slow brainwave activity. Mm. And we then teach the brain to reduce that amplitude, to produce less of the slow brainwave and, uh, um, activity, and to produce more of the concentration waves, the beta frequency, um, either between 12 to 15 hertz or between 15 to 18 hertz. And we do that through a process of feedback. So whenever the brain functions there between the parameters that we have set for ideal functioning, at that exact moment, there's positive feedback that happens. Um, the person has a graphic visual reinforcement and there's also auditory reinforcement. And automatically the brain then moves towards receiving more rewards. So it's implicit learning that happens. It happens automatically and it is the same as operant conditioning my first thought is how safe is this you know the the neurotherapy and, and what you get can you damage uh, anything else in the brain it's 
important to remember that we're talking about the feedback process, not feed in. So there's okay. no there's no stimulus that's sent into the brain. So mm-hmm. we're simply taking a reading of what is there. Okay. And that which is healthy already, we reinforce. And that which is not healthy, we inhibit by simply just ignoring it. Now, one could theoretically, if you work at two low frequencies and you didn't know what you were doing, one would be able to cause some discomfort that would last for a period of time. But in the, if one works with the, the standardized protocols, there's, pretty, there's, there's not much that, that could go wrong. There is the, the, the fear always that with epilepsy, for instance, that the treatment can trigger um, seizures. Mm. But neurotherapy, in fact, started basically as a research project for uh, to deal with epilepsy. So it's, it's used for dealing with epilepsy as well. So if the neurotherapist know, you know, is, is, is qualified and knowledgeable and all of those things, um, that will not happen. So that is not really, uh, um, you know, a fear that that is uh, uh, anything to be concerned about. With multiple treatments, is it is it possible to reverse the the condition? That is the main difference between um, neurotherapy and stimulant medication. The stimulant medication is in the bloodstream. If we talk about the short working one four hours, after the four hours, you are absolutely back to where you started. And with a neurotherapy, after the initial treatment program that's been standardized in approximately 40 sessions, the brain then has acquired and learned new patterns and new behavior and improved regulating ability. And one often finds specifically then the, with the adults that because they, their self-reporting skills are generally slightly better, um, one, they will say to you that they, the moment they become distracted, they realize that and they correct it. So there's a, there's a self-awareness that improves and, and growth that is inspired through that over and above the, the processes that happen automatically. So, yes, we can um, teach the brain the healthier uh, functioning options in terms of the different amplitudes of the different frequencies on a permanent basis. Now, normally we recommend top-up sessions for approximately one every 10 to 12 weeks just to see that the brain is still functioning within those parameters and mostly we find that it is still pretty much um, functioning there and, and uh, based on the, the changes that, that has occurred. In between the treatments, is, is there any other sort of therapeutic um, uh, stuff you can do to, to keep the brain sharp, to, to keep it at, at, at that condition? Because if, if we eventually w- would, would like it totally reversed, I think there may be other... I'm thinking maybe if you play a game of chess more often or if you, if you find the cubic uh, um, square to play with, it, it may help get your brain back where it's supposed to be. Any other exercises one may do? In the, uh, in the book, I have quite a few because before I did neurotherapy, before neurotherapy was, was an, an option in South Africa, uh, I did all kinds of exercises and, and meditation-based things and relaxation exercises and focus exercises and so on to 
assist this self-regulating ability of the brain and to help the brain to, to register when, when it's becoming distracted or where the focus is becoming too wide or, the, or when the hyper-focus kicks in. And some of those exercises really work very well if they are done consistently over a long period of time. The problem there being often that the ADHD child comes from an ADHD household. So you don't necessarily have um, the necessary structures and so on in place where the parent will sit with the, uh, the child every evening before he goes to sleep and do an image streaming exercise mm. or do a focus exercise. But there are some exercises that uh, that are healthy. And some of the brain gym exercises, I'm sure many of the listeners are familiar with brain gym, also assist with the, the focus ability. But in neurotherapy, the process itself um, automatically improves that self-awareness. So one does not necessarily then need to do many additional things that will also be time-consuming. But normally the neurotherapists, during the therapy sessions, they also tend to equip the, the person, the patient, the adult, the child, with coping mechanisms in to, to deal with these uh, particular symptoms that are very prominent in their life. If one had been using medication like Restylane or any other medication that uh, uh, goes into the bloodstream, can one uh, then accelerate to neurotherapy or graduate to neurotherapy and ease themselves out of wrestling? Normally, what my personal um, approach is that um, when we start, we don't change anything. So if the person is on the medication, let's work with the medication. We know exactly how, what different types of medication affect the brainwave activity so we can do the neurotherapy with the Ritalin for instance mm -hmm. and we would typically then wait for a time where it almost seems as if the dosage of the Ritalin is too high so one will start hearing complaints from the parent and the teacher and saying that the child is now responding is becoming too lethargic or there's this change then one real then one knows at that point that this is now a good time to phase the medication out but there are different options some parents choose to have the neurotherapy done without the medication for the duration of the of the treatment and we find mostly fortunately we have many long-term studies coming in now and which makes it clear that although sometimes the neurotherapy on its own while we're busy with the treatment is not improving the focus adequately. We need to do a combination of the medication and the therapy. We find that long term, the difference between someone that has done neurotherapy and someone that hasn't is that the medication will at, at a stage be phased out successfully. Often it's during the treatment, but sometimes it's only after the treatment, but person without neurotherapy chances that he will have to be medicated for the rest of his life or as long as he has a demanding job as an adult um, we find that with those that have done the neurotherapy they they manage without the, the medication different some it's immediately and others two years later or whatever Helena, I'm wondering if ADHD is not treated at all can, can it uh 
manifest into a, a different condition or worse uh, i'm thinking can you have a depressed life where you live on where you become you know where you suffer from depression or develop into any other unpleasant condition it's, uh, thank you very much for that question. I think it's so important to... Uh, people tend to think that we outgrow ADHD. Mm. And only a very small percentage do. And I don't even think that they, those statistics are accurate because I think that the lower incidence among adults simply is because some have learned some coping skills. Um, so it affects relationships. It affects... Um, you find adults with ADHD chopping and changing jobs, chopping and changing relationships. One finds um, sexual irresponsible behavior. One finds um, addiction. One finds impatient uh, outbursts. Mm. One finds that they procrastinate to the extent that they, um, they don't function optimally. And of course, these things can all cause uh, depression and anxiety disorders. Um, and uh, so, yes, it, it ought to definitely be diagnosed as soon as possible so that it can be treated efficiently. Could it lead to suicide? Sure. Um, it is a very... Uh, I even have a um, feel of uh, emotional reaction. Mm. Um, I think that the, that the discomfort can be as severe. Uh, I, you know, the... The discomfort that the ADHD sufferers have, I think that often we are not realistic about. And if we think of something as drastic as suicide, well, that's the extreme mm. of discomfort. Mm. So it could lead potentially to, to, to anything negative, as could any negative condition that, that uh, just is left to, you know, that's not contained. Listen, you know, it's amazing we've run out of time again. But, Helena, I, I, w I want to thank you. And, I, you know, I've got all those, some of them are funny quotes, but I've got one of them that says, the only problem with the world is a lot of people don't have ADHD, somebody says. And I'm, I'm hoping that everyone can go and get the book uh, at the store, Helena. But a lot of people wanted your details, and I think we should give them again. How do they find you if they need to to just check some there's a website is there um i'll give my my landline number my assistant is normally here and also uh there is a voicemail if if, if there's not somebody available at zero two one nine eight one eight two two six and yes. then she will give an email address or whatever is required um can i just mention something quickly do we have time uh, just go ahead okay um, I love those quotes and we've been focusing on all the negatives it's so important to me that we will know that these people have so many positives, no, they are sincere they often have extreme enthusiasm, they teach us mindfulness they, um, they can be very spontaneous they love friends, there are so many beautiful characteristics about them and um, that it's definitely uh, not, not a condition to, to be uh, ashamed of or, or it's just something that ought to be diagnosed if it causes discomfort and to know that there are 
um, treatments available. Here's another one I like. It says, if a man does not keep pace with his companions, perhaps it is because he hears a different drummer. Let him step to the music which he hears, however measured or so far away. How's that? Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time again, Helena. And, and uh, I will give the name of the book. And it's at all good bookstores, right? Thank you, yes. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. You so much. The book is called New Hope for ADHD, written by Helena Bester. In, and uh, go get it and be informed. It, that's what she said. Gain the knowledge. Then you'll know. Um, all of us maybe have si- signs of ADHD.